Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Okay, open your Bibles, please, um, to the book of Revelation, chapter 8. Revelation, chapter 8. Uh, you'll notice that uh, TJ has been kind of wandering around, uh, taking some video and pictures as part of the marketing team. The marketing team is getting some promo materials ready for our church, um, so he'll probably be wandering around even more. He, he told me to tell you to just ignore him, so ignore TJ. I'll try my best to ignore him myself here while I'm preaching, but thanks to the work of the marketing team and all that they're doing. Um, I also want to make a note that uh, next Sunday, Jim Spiegel will be here preaching on the topic of fasting, and I know I just returned from China, but I will be gone again next Sunday because I'll be preaching at City Hope, uh, our church plant in downtown Muncie, so this will be the first time for me to be present with them during worship since we sent them out uh, more than a year ago now, back in June of last year. So um, our sermon series will continue. Uh, but it will be Jim Spiegel in the pulpit. So last week we did begin uh, a new sermon series, and the series is called Basic Training. Uh, it's about the spiritual disciplines. Uh, one of the things I sought to communicate last week is that we, we all have a desire to live a significant and meaningful life. And I shared with you our vision statement here at New Life, which is that we want ordinary people to be empowered for extraordinary living through the power of the gospel. And one thing I want you to remember as we go through this sermon series on basic training is that the way to live an extraordinary life is actually not to be an extraordinary person, but to be someone who makes good use of the ordinary means that God has given to us to grow in godliness and holiness. God has provided in His Word many ways for us to receive His grace. And so the spiritual disciplines are sometimes called a means of grace. That is, God's grace tends to flow through certain appointed channels. And for us to receive that grace, we need to place ourselves in the path of those channels. And when we do that, we're able to receive the grace of God. And in the Scriptures, these various disciplines are given to us to practice, not so that we can earn our salvation or get God to love us, but so that we can receive the grace that is there for us. So last week, we started the series um, learning about Bible reading, and this week we're going to be considering prayer. And so I want to share with you um, a remark from uh, a guy named J.C. Ryle, who lived in the 1800s, one of my very favorite writers. I think his writing on the topic of prayer is probably the best thing out there aside from the scriptures. I would highly recommend Ryle's writing to you. He says, this. He says, when a person is converted, whether he shall be eminently holy depends chiefly on his own use of God's appointed means. And I assert confidently that the principal means by which most believers become great in the church of Christ 
is the habit of diligent, private prayer. He says on the same page uh, where I got this quote, he says, generally speaking, those who are not holy, he says in 19 out of 20 cases, those who are not holy are people who pray little, and people who are holy are people who pray much. It's very simple. Now, this ought to be encouraging to you because what we're really learning here is that the way to live an extraordinary life, the way to live a holy life or a godly life, and that's what I mean by extraordinary, is again, not by being an extraordinary person. It's not by being a smart person or a particularly gifted person or a particularly charming person. The way to live an extraordinary holy life is to be a prayerful person. And that's what I want you to think about today. Am I prayerful? Do I have a plan for praying? What does my prayer life look like? If you're struggling in your Christian life and feeling distant from God, it could be because prayer is absent. So we're going to look at this passage here in Revelation 8, 1 through 5. It's a fascinating passage. Um, It gives us here this vision, this picture of the heavenly sanctuary um, where the angels are standing there with their trumpets and they are prepared to announce the final judgment. And it's this kind of majestic, great vision that was given to John. And I want you to notice as I read these first five verses, the place that prayer plays in this very important event. So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. It says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. God, again, we call on you to open our eyes and our hearts to receive wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I'm not going to unpack these five verses. Uh, Revelation, obviously a difficult book, a lot of symbolism here. Uh, This is going to act as kind of a launching pad for us to look throughout the rest of Scripture to see what the Bible says about prayer. So another topical sermon here um, this morning. But in this passage, just briefly, notice what's happening here. Again, this future judgment Uh, In verses 3 and 4, we have this phrase, the prayers of all the saints that are rising up before God. And you see the reference to the smoke of the incense in verse 4. In the scriptures, we see that incense actually is a symbol of prayer. And so Pam was talking about 
lighting candles as kind of uh, a symbol of her prayers. As you light incense or a candle, the, the aroma kind of wafts upward, and that's a picture of the way our prayers work. We offer up our prayers, and they are lifted high to uh, God's presence, and that's what's being described for us here in Revelation 8. Now, this is the end of the age, and so what I want you to see here is the great encouragement there is for us to pray, because I know very often that when you pray, you feel like it's a waste of time. You feel like no one's listening, and you wonder, what is this accomplishing? And what this passage is telling us is that not one of your prayers is forgotten by God that every one of your prayers contributes to His holy purposes in the exaltation of His kingdom. Not one of them goes to waste. He remembers them all and He hears them all. And so it is never a waste of time to pray. That's what this passage is teaching us, just an exciting vision of how God uses our prayers for these amazing purposes. So. Let's go throughout Scripture here. I mean, there's so much in the Bible about prayer. I'm just kind of going to the tip of the iceberg here, but I want to try to answer three questions for you. One, why should you pray? Second, what should you pray for? And third, how should you pray? Those are our three things. So, first of all, why should you pray? Why should you pray? Uh, three reasons. The first reason, very simple. It is commanded. The Scriptures command you and me to pray. Uh, here's three quick passages, very clear, passages that are very hard to misunderstand. Uh, Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, be constant in prayer. Now, I suppose it could be misunderstood to think, well, does that mean I've got to be on my knees all day long, 24-7? No, that's not what this means. We have jobs to work and families to raise. I think what this means, all these passages are telling us, to carry with us into our day a spirit of prayer, a basic posture of prayer, a readiness to pray in all circumstances. So you're driving, and there's someone who cuts you off and frustrates you, and you just hear certain words come out of your mouth. You, you feel something coming up out of your heart that is not holy. You, your first reaction could just be, oh, God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. That, that was not pleasing to you. You just pray for forgiveness right there in the car, quick. Um, you have a very difficult conversation coming up, maybe with a child at home or somebody at work, and you're worried about it. Well, you, you, just, you just call out, Lord, please give me the right words to say. Please help me not to say anything harmful or misleading. You sit down for lunch and you got food on your table. And just immediately you just say, God in heaven, thank you so much for the provision of this food. I think that's what these passages mean. It's not that you're on your knees all day long, but you're in a basic posture of prayer. Very clear that there are commands in Scripture for us to be prayerful. The second reason you should pray is because... It is necessary, and in particular, I mean necessary for your salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For anybody to become a Christian, it always begins with a prayer. 
Nobody is born into this world a Christian. At some point, you have to call on the name of the Lord. That's the first step to becoming a Christian. Have you ever thought about how central prayer is to becoming a Christian? As Ryle says, no one is saved by his prayers, but without prayer, nobody is saved. You gotta, you gotta call out for mercy. I mean, have you, have you done that? It's a very simple question. Have you, have you confessed your sins to God and prayed for Jesus to come and fill you? Have you thanked God for a Savior who died for you and has risen from the dead for you? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? That's a prayer, and that has to happen. It doesn't have to be a formal thing. It can happen at your kitchen table at home. It can happen while you're walking down the street. It can happen in this sanctuary before this service is up. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. This is why prayer is so important. This is why you should pray. It is the first step to becoming a Christian. The third reason you should pray is because it is relational. Now, here's what I mean by that. Looking at Psalm 63, David says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. This is a prayer, by the way. David's praying. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, a very simple question here. When you look at David's prayer, what is it that he wants? Isn't it clear that the answer is God? David wants God. And that's why he's praying. This is maybe one of the biggest misunderstandings about prayer. And that is this, that prayer is not primarily a means for you to get things from God. It's primarily a means for you to get God, for you to get God, to enter into fellowship with Him to commune with Him, to adore Him, to be in His presence, to get close to Him. That alone is a good enough reason to pray whether you ever get anything you ask for. I mean, if you think of a situation where you've got um, a handful of people in a room, and let's say you notice two people, and they are not talking to each other, and in fact, they are avoiding each other. The conclusion from that situation would be one of two possibilities. Either those two are mad at each other, or those two don't know each other. And neither of those situations describes the relationship between a Christian and his or her God. God's not mad at you. Your sins have been paid for. You do know God. In fact, that's the fundamental blessing of the gospel, isn't it? Before we became Christians, we were separated from God. We didn't have relationship with Him. He was a stranger to us. We were strangers to Him. There was distance between the two. And then we received Jesus, and we were reconciled. The blessing of the gospel is we now have fellowship. We have relationship, personal relationship with God. Why would you not communicate with someone you have a personal relationship with? God saved you so that you would enter into relationship with Him, and the primary ways, way that we do that is by communicate, communicating to Him in prayer. Father, or 
Friends, God wants to hear from you. I almost broke into prayer there, I think, by saying Father. Um, Friends, your Father wants to hear from you. He, He delights to hear from you. So why not go to Him? I mean, think of it from this angle, too. You know, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus had no sin. He had no deficiencies. He, he was God himself in the flesh with no needs in the same way that we have needs. But Jesus was in prayer all the time. He withdrew to desolate places to pray, it says over and over again in the Gospels. Well, if Jesus didn't have these needs, didn't have sins to confess, why was he praying? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, there's maybe multiple answers to that question, but here's one answer. It's because Jesus wanted fellowship with his Father. That's primarily why. He wanted to be with his Father. C.S. Lewis says it like this, prayer in the sense of petition, that is asking for things, is really a small part of it. Confession and penitence are prayer's threshold. Adoration is prayer's sanctuary. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God is prayer's bread and wine, the very essence, the very substance of our prayer. So that's why we should pray. The Bible commands it. It is necessary for salvation, and it is the primary way that we relate to God. Okay, so secondly now, what should you pray for? What are legitimate things to go to God and ask for. First thing, personal needs and wants. So, listen carefully. I I didn't say a moment ago that you shouldn't pray for things that you want from God. I just said that that's not primarily why you ought to pray. It certainly is appropriate to pray for basic needs and wants. And we see this very clearly in Luke 11 as Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer and says, here's how you should pray. Give us each day, our daily bread. I mean, we all pretty much expect and assume, presume that we're going to have food, but nonetheless, Jesus says you ought to be praying for basic things like food. So it's perfectly, <coughs> perfectly appropriate for you to pray for uh, a job if you don't have one, to pray for financial provision if you're struggling in that way, to pray for help on an exam that you're about to take, to pray for safety when you're traveling. But not just praying for needs, but praying for wants as well, to pray for a spouse if that's what you desire and you're single, to pray for healing if you're sick and full of pain. Remember Hezekiah in the Old Testament was told that he was going to die. He prayed to God and God granted him 15 years of life because that's what Hezekiah wanted and he pleaded for it with tears and God gave it to him. So to pray for personal needs and wants, perfectly appropriate. Now, here's how God might respond to that. Really, there's you know, two options. When you have needs and wants, you might pray, and God might say no. God might say no. And that's where prayer becomes kind of difficult because we're praying for things, we're praying in faith, and God denies those prayers, and we don't know really what to do with that. Well, it's such a wonderful thing, such an act of God's mercy that He puts in His Scriptures prayers of lament. Do you know that among the Psalms, the most common Psalm is a Psalm of lament? And a Psalm of lament is just simply an expression of sorrow to God. Here's an example, Psalm 
6. Here's how David is praying. Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are troubled. My soul also greatly troubled. I am weary with my moaning. I'm tired of moaning all day long in my misery. Every night I flood my bed with tears. Every night I'm weeping and my pillow is sopping wet because of the pain I'm going through. I drench my couch with my weeping. These kinds of prayers are placed in the Bible to give you freedom to express your sorrow to God. When you pray for wants and needs and He says no and you're devastated because these things you've dreamed about have not come true for you, God says, come to me with your sorrow. Come to me with your pain. You can be honest with God. The Bible gives us validation for that in many places. But the other option is that God might say, yes, you pray for something and God answers it. Well, the way to respond to that is through prayers of thanksgiving, right? Now we thank God, right? I mean, you all are just as quick to thank God as you are to ask God for things, right? Just as quick to give God thanks for all of his provisions for you, right? (laughs) Well, that's not the case for me. I mean, when I get in a tight spot, I mean, I'm asking for God to help, and as soon as it's answered, I'm I'm generally on to the next thing. Prayers of thanksgiving are ways, I, I think probably the primary way to deal with issues of anxiety and stress and worry. The way to be anxious for nothing is to be prayerful about everything. I mean, just try that sometime. You're filled with anxiety. Take 15 minutes and do nothing but thank God for His goodness. Your family, the roof over your head, your job, the freedom you have in this country, the cup of coffee you had that morning, the bed you get to sleep in, the legs you get to stand on, the eyes you get to see with, the ears you get to hear with. Thank God for those things. And you'll find a flow of contentment coming into your soul. So, what should you pray for? Personal needs and wants. Yes. But secondly, you should also pray for spiritual growth. Because very often when we pray for our personal needs and wants, we, we stop there. You know, we, we, that's, for many of us, that is the majority of the content of our prayers. But you should also pray for spiritual growth. And you'll see prayers like this all throughout the Scriptures, like this one in Colossians 1. Look at what Paul is praying for here. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Do do your prayers go like that ever? Where you're praying for increased knowledge, you're praying for spiritual wisdom, you're praying that as you go through the day, you'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you'd bear fruit in everything that you do. Friends, this ought to be the priority content that parents pray for their children. That this ought to be the the primary thing that we are on our knees for when husbands pray for wives and when wives pray for husbands. 
that this ought to be the primary thing that I as a pastor pray for for you as a congregation. It ought to be the primary thing that you as a congregation use to pray for me and the leaders, elders, and deacons of this church. Spiritual growth. In other words, extraordinary living. When you're in a trial, when you're in a crisis, when things are caving in on you and, and you just feel like, you know, why am I sick all the time? Why am I single all the time? Why am I going through this difficulty? Yeah, go to the Lord and ask for relief. Go to the Lord and ask for healing. Yes, do that. But also go to the Lord and say, God, let not my heart be bitter. God, help me to see your goodness even though all I can see are my troubles. Lord, make me like Jesus in the midst of this. That, that's a proper prayer to pray with the interest of spiritual growth in mind, even when you're going through hard things. So uh, the third thing, then, that you should pray for, in addition to personal needs and wants and spiritual growth, is kingdom advancement thinking beyond your own personal needs and thinking about the work of the church and the advancement of the kingdom. Here's Paul in Colossians 4. He says, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul wants opportunities to share the gospel. He wants people to hear about Jesus because that's the way the kingdom goes forward. Are your prayers kingdom-oriented prayers, or are they merely personal prayers? We send out a list of prayer every Tuesday here from our office at New Life, and uh, there's a list of issues that are before us as a congregation, but I don't know if you've noticed, but at the bottom of that, there is always a list of our five core values. And my exhortation to you and something that I've been trying to do myself is to pray for these core values, one value per day throughout the week. That's a, a picture of the prayer schedule on my refrigerator at home. And so I put that up there to kind of help me to remember to do this. So on Mondays, prayer for our, pray for our worship service, just like I prayed a moment ago. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. Just, just pray that the Holy Spirit would fill this place on Sunday mornings. On Tuesdays, pray for uh, the fellowship of the saints at New Life. Pray for our relationships, that this would be a place where people feel welcomed and accepted, a place where people belong. Wednesdays, pray for our compassion ministries, our mercy outreaches to our community. On Thursday, pray for the discipleship ministries, the teaching of, uh, of, of you guys, of the senior and junior high, of, of the children all sorts of discipleship ministries here. Pray that they bear fruit. And then on Friday, pray for the evangelistic efforts. Pray for our missionaries. Pray that the gospel would go forth from this place and that people would come to receive Jesus as Savior in this place. Would you do that? Commit yourself to that? That, that is an example of prayers for kingdom advancement. I, I'm excited to see what the Lord will do in this place as we as his people commit to kingdom prayers. Last thing, <clears throat> how? How should you pray? How should you pray? We can answer this in a lot of different ways, but here's my answer. First of all, pray privately. Pray privately. 
Here's what it says in Matthew 6. This is Jesus talking about um, the religious leaders who would go out into the streets and they would pray in such a way to get attention and to have everybody look at them and see what holy people they are. And then he says, but when you pray, disciples, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your private prayers, friends, this is the test of true spiritual vitality. It's not what you're doing when people are looking. It's what you're doing when no one is looking. Robert Murray McShane says, what a person is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing else. Praying privately before God, that's, that's really the, the test of whether you have a relationship with God because there's nothing for you to gain, socially speaking, or in, a, in an earthly way. This is something that's just between you and God. This is something that you could ignore and nobody would really know except for God. Go into your room, shut the door, and plead with God. Some ideas for how to do this, loved Pam's testimony. She gave a great idea. She's got a whole room set aside to help her with prayer. This can happen in different ways. Um, Find a place, though. Find a place, a comfortable place. I've got a little section of my bedroom set off. There's like a little wooden chest. It's right before the window. Um, I I tell whoever's in my household, look, I'm going to go pray. And I shut the door, and I kneel on that little chest, and I like to look out the window when I pray, so I look out the window, (laughs) and that's where I pray. That's my place. Do you have a place? That's one way that your private prayers might be enhanced. Uh, Sometimes we pray, we're busy, we don't get much sleep, we stay in a particular place, and we get sleepy. (laughs) So how about a prayer walk? Get up, walk around the block, pray while you're walking. God can hear your your prayers while you're walking just as much as your prayers on your knees. Sometimes that might help, kind of keep you awake. Uh, A prayer journal. Again, Pam mentioned the way she divided up her prayers. And so um, this is is my prayer journal. And so similar to what Pam said, I've got prayers divided up here. You know, I've been telling you a lot of things about prayer, and it can be kind of overwhelming. I know you just may be thinking, I can't pray for all these things every day. It's too much. And you're right. So organize it. So, for instance, on Tuesdays, I I pray for Mary. On Wednesdays, I pray for this church in particular and the issues before new life. On Thursdays, I pray for my own personal holiness and growth uh, in grace. Friday, I pray for my uh, family members and and friends and longtime acquaintances. On Saturday, I pray for Muncie in Yorktown, the community. I pray for the world. I pray for the church universal. I pray for the church in, in Chengdu. Um, and on Monday, I tried to devote myself just to prayers of thanksgiving and not ask for anything, which is really hard to do, but that's what I try um, to do. And on Sundays, I, I pray for, for our service. So I, I don't want you to think that I am just super faithful to this and I'm doing this every week. I, I, I get away from it sometimes and I come back to it. But, um, you know, I've got a whole page full of specific things to pray in in each of these categories. And as you just think of things to pray, your list will grow. And and you'll see so many things to pray for. And just like Pam said, I mean, time will go by. I know you think prayer is 
boring maybe, but you start thinking very carefully about how to pray, and you can pray a long time, and you'll be surprised uh, at how fast the time will go. But think in an organized way about how to pray. So pray privately. <laughs> the, the last thing here, though, is also pray publicly. Also pray with brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's Acts 1. Um, here are uh, the disciples who are all together in the upper room, and it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They gathered together with one another and devoted themselves to prayer, corporate prayer, praying with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's something essential for the Christian. I, I was in China earlier this month, and um, uh, I visited a, a church there, and uh, the church is on the 19th floor of this building, and the elevators open, and you come out, and you can go to the church, and on the walls next to the church, they have um, some plaques that give some information, and one of the plaques gives the service times of the church. It's a fairly large church. It's like four or 500 people, so they have a couple different services. So it lists the service times. <clears throat> and then at the top of the list, it, it says something else. Of course, that's in Chinese, so I'm with somebody. And I say, what is, what is this thing up here at the top? And the person with me said, well, that's their prayer meeting. And I said, well, how often do they do, they do that? And she said, every day. Every day. <laughs> Later on, I'm at the airport, and I've got somebody with me who um, uh, goes to that church and I was thinking about that, and I said, yeah, I saw on your plaque you've got a prayer meeting every day. How many people go to that prayer meeting? He said, uh, only 15 or 20. Only 15 or 20 people gathering at the church praying every day. So I was convicted by that, and I just thought, you know, we have a prayer meeting once a month here in New Life. And I just thought, we, we need, and really, I, I thought this, we, we need to pray more often. We need to have, like, a weekly prayer meeting. I haven't told Felix this because we had a, a, an elder meeting and um, just this last week, and, and Felix just says, before, I hadn't said anything, but Felix says, we need to have a weekly prayer meeting <laughs> here at New Life. And I thought, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And so we uh, agreed to that. Uh, as a session. And so uh, I want to alert you to this, friends, that we are going to start gathering together to pray publicly, corporately as a church once a week, Wednesdays 6 to 7 p.m., starting on August 15th, not this Wednesday, starting August 15th. We're going to meet right here in the sanctuary, and I would encourage you to come. Uh, if you're nervous about praying out loud, don't worry. We're not going to make you pray out loud. If you just want to listen, that's fine. Or just pray in your spirit, that's fine. Um, but um, unless you're notified otherwise, starting August 15th, we'll be in this place praying together. So, <clears throat> prayer, a means of grace. I, I know some of you still might be feeling a little insecure about your prayer life, you might be feeling like, you know, I, I'm not, not that eloquent, my, my prayers are shallow, I'm, they're so repetitive. Let, let me just leave you with this, friends. I want to encourage you. What makes your prayer acceptable, Christian, is not the quality of your prayer, but the quality of the intercessor who prays for you. As we sing, 
Jesus is the high priest whose name is love and ever lives and pleads for you. That's what makes your prayers effective. You have a Savior who prays for you. You have a Savior who intercedes for you. And as feeble and small and messed up as your prayers might be, Jesus signs them with his own blood and makes them beautiful in the presence of the Father. So be encouraged. Pray. And one day, on that last day, we'll get to see with great rejoicing all that God did with the prayers that we offer up to him. Let's pray. Our God, we um, thank you for your word. We pray that you would make us a prayerful people, both privately and publicly. Make us a prayerful church and use our prayers for great kingdom-advancing purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.